Across the Desk with Clement Maniatella on 702. So on Across the Desk this morning, I'm, I'm really excited because I've always wondered about forensic pathology and what, and, and what it's all about. And this morning I'm hosting forensic pathologists on Across the Desk. They're going to tell us more about their work. Um, they do a really interesting, brave job, I think. <laughs> um, and I can't wait. I've got so many questions. I'm sure you've got your questions too. Uh, you're welcome to join this conversation on 011-883-0702. WhatsApp's on 072-702-1702. If you're in the industry as well, tell me how that has been for you. What's been your experience? Let me introduce you to my guests in studio, Dr. Kevin Shaise, who is the head of clinical department at the Harangua Forensic Pathology Services. Dr. Shaise, thank you for making time for us. Good morning. Thank you, sir. Uh, Dr. Zibonele Manukuza, who is a senior medical officer at the Johannesburg Forensic Pathology Service, uh, is also in studio with us. Dr. Manukuza, thanks for also making time. Good morning. Thank you. And we have Dr. Yasim Bismillah. Um, who is also a path- por- forensic pathologist. Uh, Dr. Bismillah, uh, thanks for making time. Thank you. So, um, I don't know where to start. Let me start with this, maybe, Dr. Shaise. Yes. Did, did you always know that you wanted to specialize in this field um, when, when you went into medicine? Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, before I answer that question, can I say hi to my two kids, Luminati Shaise uh-huh. and Kazamula Shaise? Hello. Yes. Kalumula and Luminati. Luminati. Are they listening to us? One is listening. Oh, yes. wonderful! Shout out to you. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For me, I uh, I started my career after qualifying as a medical doctor mm-hmm. in the late eighties. You know, I'm an old hand, uh, and uh, I worked in a public service in the hospitals. But as you remember, during that time there was a lot of violence, and I worked in the East End. You know, uh, actually, specifically at Natal Spirit Hospital. Mm. So we, we used to see a lot of trauma, you know, trauma from all sorts of causes, you know, especially political trauma. Mm. So that, you know, didn't sit well with me. And uh, I asked myself, what can I do with the skills that I have, mm. you know? Then it became obvious that, uh, you know, there are very few, there were very few, even now and then, Mm-hmm. Very few professionals in this field, and uh, I uh, I felt that I need to go out there and save the people. Yeah, and uh, I committed myself to the specialty to say, let me make that difference. Uh, it's unfortunate that uh, the crime hasn't reduced; the crime is going higher and higher, mm-hmm. and it's moving from the streets into you know homes, mm-hmm. and it has become subtle. And uh, we, we, we have got a new challenge in terms of, you know, now we're dealing with the two issues, uh, the issues of, you know, uh, s- suspicions of poisonings cases, mm-hmm. which are, mm-hmm. are getting higher and higher, mm-hmm. you know, uh, among people who know each other and sometimes in strangers. Yeah, um, sure. And then for you, uh, Dr. Bismillah? Have you always wanted to get into this field? So not really. Um, I think um, I'm a bit more on the younger side. Mm. So I've just recently specialized. And, uh, sure, you know, after internship and commserve, I was just so burnt out. And um, I, I just, you know, I've always had an investigative mind. So I mm. always wanted to find out more. Medicine is an investigation. If you have an alive or a 
yeah. it did body. You want to know what's happening. And uh, working in the clinics, I just felt that, you know, you don't see justice sometimes being done, you know. Um, and my whole focus was on, shoot, how can I contribute to the legal system? How can I contribute to serving um, justice? I worked mm -hmm. at a rape center for a year, and that started my clinical forensic journey and my forensic journey into investigating things. Mm -hmm. um, and medicine destroys your soul. You know, it's a lot of work. Um, but that drive to see justice being done is what like got me into forensics and yeah, yeah that's, that's incredible uh, dr manukuza um, yes um i i believe i always knew at least i got to know i think i was in my third year of medicine um when i was doing my uh, basic degree mm -hmm. um we went to it was a rotation when we were introduced and i found the doctor then was doing a post-mortem and i was like no this is what i want to do mm. um in general it's more uh it's broad i think forensic pathology is very broad mm. you are i find it not boring as much as it's you know it's difficult to deal with disease but finding answers mm. is more fulfilling mm. and sometimes you find that um I think Dr. Schleiser raised the issue of suspicions. Mm. So sometimes there will be families that will be fighting because of suspicions and mm. you come up with uh, uh, the facts yeah. that will actually resolve the issue. Yes. And I think somehow I believe that also decreases the crime because if we, I think you killed my brother and then I start yeah. you know, fighting back. Yes. So once you know that your brother actually died of natural causes, then you are unlikely to go and kill the person that you thought yes. killed that person. So, so I mean, I'm getting goosebumps because we're also talking about dead people. Like, it, I don't know, but I, for, 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 for us, I suppose normal people or people who are not in the field, a dead person is, like, that's out of the ordinary, right? Even like when we have funerals at home, you know, in our culture, you know, the body arrives the night, well, the afternoon before the burial. Yes. When the body is in the house, there's just a different mood, you know. And it's not necessarily fear, but it's like, this person is no more. Like, looking at them gives you, I don't know, I don't know if it's, it's, it's fear or if it's anxiety. How do you guys deal with that? Because really, pathology is really the study of basically death and how people have died. Did you have to get used to seeing dead bodies and working with them? I don't know if I must answer that or I can, you can ask start. my... Can. Oh, okay, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. I, I think it's, a, it's not easy to look at a dead person hmm. uh, because it actually you are facing with your own immortality. Yes. And, uh, but uh, it's a service that needs to be done. Fortunately, in the training of a doctor, we start seeing uh, dead bodies very early in our training period. What, well, isn't it the third year, second year? In most universities, it will be second year. Sure. And then we see dead people. And then, of course, when you go into hospital services, you, if someone will die in front of you. So you, 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 you don't totally get used to it. Mm. But you tend to accept that it comes with a territory. Mm. You have to deal with what you are faced with. You know, because it's, it's a human being, mm. you know, uh, when someone expires in front of you, oh. it, it's an experience that 
you have to go home and sleep it over. And you must know you're also going to end up Yes, like it, that, it, it right? reminds you. It reminds you that it's coming. Yes. Dr. Bismillah, do you talk to, you know, to like dead people? Because sometimes you hear, I mean, also in movies, we often see people say, yeah, you know, the forensic pathologist talking to like the, the, the bodies lying there. Yeah. What's your routine? Do you talk to them or do you? Are you in the room alone with them? So, no. So it's also, I would need it's security, also by the way. Formal, right? So all our bodies are like in body bags. Yeah. And they're like out of, the, out of the fridge. It's not a scary situation at home. Mm. We're in a very controlled environment. We have staff around us. We also have our medical eyes on. So we look, we're using our doctor minds now mm. to look at a body of evidence. And I don't speak to my bodies often, but they speak to me. Right? How? The body can tell you so much, uh, like non-verbally, uh, can tell you so much. What happened to me? And yeah, but sometimes I do like ask, like, what happened? Like, I'll say, like, what, what is this? What were you doing? What, you know, why is, why is an injury here? Mm. You know, how is, how is it that you were hit from the back? Mm. Or what was happening? So it's all part of um, the puzzle. But I do, I do sometimes poke and ask, like, what happened here? Mm. What are you trying to tell me? Like, do you know their names? Do you care like to know their names? Like, this is Sibusiso, this is John, who was a teacher. Or do you just treat it as, this is a body, my work is to do this. Do you care about what their life was? Um, yes, they are human beings, I think. Uh. That's the first thing. And... Every person, or yes, maybe let's call them persons for now. So, that, for, yeah, so every person that has died and is in front of you is a human being who had a name, who had a family, mm. and sometimes was killed by someone. So what you need, or even if or they died of un, under unknown circumstances, so what you know, what, what is um, in your mind at that time is one, this family needs to know what happened to him or her. Um, and not only the family, you, you end up going to courts to testify. I always say um, I'm the last person to talk for him or her mm. because if they were two and they stepped it or he was stepped, yeah. the alive person is going to go to court and say he did this and he did that. Mm -hmm. So I would use my science to say this is unlikely to have happened even if that is what the other uh, person is saying so i take it as i look beyond the deceased body that is in front of me mm -hmm. i look at justice system i look at the family and there is a magistrate i need to give information to so that mm -hmm. he can decide if there's someone who needs to be charged or someone who might be charged wrongfully mm -hmm. yes when, when are your services required uh, dr Shayise? is it when there's a dispute around the cause of death or i mean if if i'm bringing someone and i'm saying as a family we believe they died from natural they had a natural death do you still get involved to just confirm or do you only come in when there's a dispute no i think our service uh, is a public service and then we are actually within government and uh, we are legislated so there are certain acts and the regulations and codes of practice that guides our service. Mm. So the cases that we, if I have to call them cases that come to us, they're actually referred by the police. 
we don't receive cases from any other institution or even families. Mm. Only a case that has got a police case number mm-hmm. will receive. So, for example, if someone has died, you know, in a hospital, the hospital cannot refer the case to us. They will have to go to the police, open a case number, and then the police will go and investigate the case in the hospital and then take the case and then we receive it. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. So if I have to explain, there are five types of cases that we, uh, we, we, we receive. The first category of so-called suspicious deaths where there are uh, questions of medical legal nature. One is uh, cases where there's been, uh, you know, straightforward homicide like a stab or gunshot. Uh, the second category is uh, the, the suicides, and then the third category accidents like motor vehicles, and then the fourth category is uh, cases where people died uh, during or immediately after operation, or someone suspect that the death is related to a surgical operation. And like the, negligence, maybe on the part. Yes, of the, it includes those cases. Okay. Yes, and then the last category is uh, what we call it's a broad category, and it can be non-specific. It's anything and everything where there are questions and someone is unhappy about a particular death. So we call them, uh, you know, suspicious. Uh, or unknown deaths, mm-hmm. you know, for example, if someone disappears and then bones are found in an open field, you know, those type of death is suspicious because uh, that person, the circumstance of the death is not known. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, Dr. Bismillah, what is, how, how do you then go about doing your work to determine the cause of death? Like in, in medical terms, I mean, when I go to the doctor, they make me lie down and then they check. Yes. Pal, yeah. So in, when you do pathology, then what does that involve in order for you to determine that? Like you have to look at the heart, like yes. how does it work? Yes. So, so in the medical legal investigation of an unnatural death, as Dr. Kleiser explained, we have to determine a few things. So we will try to determine the cause of death, mm-hmm. right? So what was the actual cause of death? Was it a stab? Was it a, was it a um, gunshot, etc.? Um, the manner of death, was it accidental, suicidal, homicidal, accidental? We can give um, a comment on that. We can estimate the time of death. So there are certain features we can look for in the body to see how How do you guys long. determine the time of death? Oh, so we look at the levels of like decomposition. The body uh. will decompose at a certain rate, uh. at a certain time, under certain conditions. Uh. We can also age um, bones, for example. So if you have skeletons, we can even use the um, maggots that are on the body and we can see which generation of um, maggots are here. And that can also assist us in determining um, the... Um, Time of death, and the last one is identification. So, for example, in your mass disasters, etc., um, identification is extremely important, as we've been seeing with a lot of mass incidents, especially um, in Joburg. Um, so, we have those aims in mind before we approach our body, right? And uh, so, we'll have a case number, we'll have a police report, we'll have mm-hmm. photos from the scene. At times, we'll go on the scene. So, almost like CSI, where you you go there with the crime investigating unit and you use your scientific, medically sound mm-hmm. knowledge to 
just look at even the position of the body. How is the position lying? Was it moved? Mm-hmm. Is that scratch or that abrasion on the one side in keeping with the story that the family is saying or that the police have found, etc.? And then the body will come to us in the morgue and in the morning we'll um, discuss um, uh, with the police, um, etc. to get a, a broad idea of the case. Then we, we, have, we scan all our bodies as well. We have full body x-rays, which is in 360 uh, directions. We can look for any injuries there, any fractures or um, bullets or anything in the body. Mm. Then the actual autopsy involves external and internal investigation. So we look at the external features. What is the body showing us from the outside? There's so much we can tell. Is this a rich person or a poor person? How the clothing they're wearing? Mm. If it's a female, are they clothed or unclothed? And why? You know, and then we can look at all the injuries on the body. Is it in keeping with a gunshot or with a hanging or whatever the, the case was? And then we do a full internal dissection of the body where we remove every organ from every um, um, every body cavity. And what do you mean by that? Remove every organ? Yeah, so we'll remove the lungs, the heart, uh, you know, the abdomen, the spleen, all the mm-hmm. organs, the brain as well. And we standardize that for all our bodies. So um, we now are part of to try to find out the manner of death uh, mode of death, identification, mm-hmm. all of that is involved now as we're looking externally, internally, and we take special investigations as well. So if it's, for example, a suspected um, poisoning case, we'll take um, uh, poisoning on that. We'll take DNA, we look for any um, uh, trace evidence, etc. as well. And then we'll use all of those things to compile a post-mortem report, yeah. which will then answer the main uh, questions which you wanted to know, which mm. is the manner, the mechanism, the mode, identification. How long does it does that process take? Like um, a, to have a post mortem, and is it because some families have said, "Oh, we've waited months for like a post mortem." Is it something that takes a week or? Okay, um, cases are different. I think that's the bottom line, and we cannot generalize and say it takes this long. Mm. Um, it depends on the workload. It depends also on the case itself. I will make an example. Let's say it's a child that has been abused mm. and you need to do x-rays. And x-rays, we don't do the in-house. We have to book in a hospital. And if you take a child, a, a deceased child to a hospital, you cannot do it during the working hours. So you need to have a slot in the hospital where it's quiet and then the staff can attend to you. And then you go back again uh, to do the postmortem. you need the x-ray reports from the radiologist only then you will be able to uh, compile your reports and finish with it so there's quite variations in mm. terms of every case will demand its own investigations mm. so someday for example someone um, can have an injury that you can finish within an hour mm. and, and, and you complete it. But then the report itself will take, you know, mm-hmm. some time depending on, like we say, the circumstances. Mm. But the postmortem itself in general, just examining the body takes about an hour. Okay. So once you've taken out the organs you examine, do you put them back? Thanks for the question. I think, yes, we... I'm sure some people suspect we don't put them back, but oh. we put everything back. Even the brain? Everything back. Whatever we take out, we, to, we take back into the body. And uh, of course, the law allows us to investigate and do 
everything necessary to recover evidence. Mm. Uh, but uh, when we're done, we take everything back and we try to, you know, uh, put the body back into the state, at least, you know, uh, reasonable, you know, appearance. But sometimes it's difficult. Some cases come with, you know, extreme deformities. Oh, how long does it take for the body to start with that process of deforming? Like, is it, if someone dies now, is it two weeks while the body, because yes, you can put them in, where do you guys put them in those refrigerators? What do you call them? Are they yeah. refrigerators? Yeah, they are refrigerators. <laughs> yeah, so, so how, how, how long, like, if, 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 I don't know, if someone lives alone, for instance, and sadly they pass, um, and it's four days, does the body decompose? in that period or is it like two weeks or what? well it will decompose in the fridge um but at a much slower rate slower rate in the fridge normal so it'll still be a quite well maintained um body i think within a week or two uh you should still see a normal looking um body before decomposition sets in mm. um but if it's unclaimed after um a month then uh, it's up to the state or the government then to decide uh, what to do with the body, which will usually be buried or, um, mm-hmm. yeah, like that. Okay. Yeah, what can an I, interesting Can I ask uh, one question? Yes. I ask uh, our colleague. Yeah, yeah. The, the issue of how long does it take to have our report ready? Mm. I think I can categorize the cases into three cases. Uh, the majority of the cases, you know, we... The community can expect, you know, a report within a month. These cases will be normally straightforward trauma cases, like a motor vehicle accident, gunshot, stabbing. And then the second category is cases which we will take at least up to six months. And these cases, normally they involve further investigations. Mm. And so the delay is due to we await, uh, you know, the outcome of those investigations before we finalize our report. And there's the last category, which is basically the cases of poisoning. Unfortunately, we do have uh, a long waiting time for this type of cases because of the backlog in terms of investigations of uh, 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 poisoning cases. Mm, yeah. Okay, and, and we'll talk about that after the latest eyewitness news headlines because uh, that's, yeah, it's another thing we've seen, um, especially even with the young ones who go eat stuff that they buy from these puzzle shops and families often wonder what is going on there. Your calls on 011-883-0702. Are you in the industry? What's been your experience? Um, maybe you've interfaced with uh, forensic pathologists before, or maybe you've got questions. I've got some interesting questions coming um, on the WhatsApp line. I'll ask my guests after the latest in eyewitness news. Headlines. It's exactly 10.30. Across the desk with Clement Maniatella on 7.02. 25 minutes before 11 o'clock on Across the Desk this morning. I'm hosting forensic pathologist. Pathologists. Ooh, what, a, what an interesting profession. Um, we've been finding out more about um, forensic pathology, the work that they do. Uh, I want to give you an opportunity to bring in your questions if you have any on 011-883-0702 or through your voice notes. On 072-702-1702. Oh, morning, Clement. Oh, oh, what a chilling topic. Um, I've had to r- literally wind down my windows 
Um, I had to decide between sitting and listening to this uh, conversation, but I thought, Jesus, it must be necessary. Yeah, quite interesting. And I find what's very interesting is that uh, they can determine or estimate the time of death using generation of maggots. Sure. Yeah, look, a service to the nation that is absolutely vital. Uh, thank you to your doctor's students, Linda and Jones. Yeah, as a people, we're so scared of death. Eh? <laughs> Conversations about death. I mean, I've been getting goosebumps throughout our conversation. Um, and here you are, you deal with this every single day. Yes. Hey, morning, Tamant. May you please ask your guests, why is it not possible to detect witchcraft? Like when someone uh, poisoned you, got with witchcraft? Have you dealt with a case like that where someone says, my family member was bewitched, there was witchcraft involved, they believe that the person died because of that? I mean, and how do you even determine that? (laughs) Um, Yes, we have received such complaints. Um, Unfortunately, with our current system, I think it's it's a field that we still need to research. Uh, we are unable to prove it, mm. uh, but however, we will look for other natural disease mm. and uh, or injuries in the body, and we'll state what we have found. Mm. Um, like I said, sometimes we, someone can go to a traditional healer mm. just because they are sick mm. and they drink traditional medicine, and people think that person was um, mm. maybe, you know, was. They can call it overdose, mm. or sometimes they think it's because, um, how do I say this? Um, someone was bewitched, mm. but only to find that they were actually treating a natural disease that they had. Mm. So it's not, unfortunately, currently we are not able to prove any. Yes, but I think there is a room for research on that mm. especially people with our traditional healers maybe if we can collaborate one day we can reach that because yeah, i imagine there are people who would come and say hey my sister died after this one did this and i want to know what happened to them um but yeah fascinating gentlemen can you please help me my dad recently passed on and i tried to ask the family to make a postmortem but it uh, it was refused by my um She's married. He was married to this younger lady. Um, I need uh, now. He's buried last week uh, Thursday. Is, how long ca- does it take? Is it possible for me to exhume my dad and have him checked uh, as his son, or what's the procedure? How do I go about it? Where do I go if I want something like that? Okay, great, good question there, Doctor um, Shaisa. What's the process? Yeah, and can you exhume a body to then determine the cause of death? Yeah, there are certain processes that uh, we have to, or the family have to undertake. The first thing is to ascertain what are the problems, you know. In this case, the, the, uh, the deceased has been buried, and therefore we also have to involve the court because there must be a, a court order that allows the family to, to exhume. Okay, but I think the first step in this case, if I have to advise him, is to seek uh, the opinion of a medical practitioner. Mm-hmm. It can be a GP. Some of them are aware of the work that we do. If they can find a specialist, the better, and they will guide them. 
you know, but uh, in terms of court processes, they will have to get uh, the assistance of uh, an attorney, or, uh, an attorney that deals with uh, criminal cases, uh, and then they will be able to process. Okay, okay. let's go to Moeketsi, who's calling us from Johannesburg. Uh, good morning, Moeketsi. Uh, good morning, uh, sir. How are you? Sharp, sharp. How's it? I'm all right. Mm. Uh, I'm Wojtyzy Ramasa. I'm the cluster manager in forensic pathology service in City uh, Bank mm. and Nekuruleni district. Mm-hmm. I'm calling to greet my colleagues, Dr. Saiz Manoguza and Dr. Yasim. Mm. Um, I'm quite happy that they are, you are hosting them today. Uh, so that they can educate us and the public on the importance of forensic pathology service. Mm. That is the only reason that I'm, 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 I'm phoning, uh, Clement. Oh, thank you for, for calling. Um, thank you, uh, uh, Moiketsi in Johannesburg. You guys do such an important job. Tabo, you're in Hartis. Good morning. Hey, Tibos. Hello. Hi, Tabo. Go ahead, man. Hi, Clement. How are you? Sorry. Sure, sure. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. Uh, greetings to the pathologist. How are you? Sure, sure. Good. Clement, my question is based on, uh, if I, let me give you my background. I'm a, I'm a tracing agent, right? I've got a business called Multimit Tracing, right? Now, I need to understand from the forensic pathology, between the forensic pathologist and the police, who can identify uh, the missing person? Let's say the police, they pick up somebody on the side of the road and then they take it to the pathologist. Who's the, who, who, can, who can identify this person uh, in terms of the identity number, uh, if he's in South African? And then why you've got this high rise of Popper's funeral? And then my last question is, I had one of the pathologists mention that the X-ray uh, machine, they have to go to the hospital. I need to know why the medical can provide them with the X-ray machine so they can do their job perfect. Mm. But, but please repeat the first question to, to us. I'm not sure I understand it. Uh, you're saying yeah, that... My first question, let's say, let's discuss with the, the South African citizen, right? Yeah. This person is a missing person, right? Mm-hmm. But we only find this person, uh, his dead body, at the side of the road. Sure. Now, SAPS will come and pick up this person and take it to... Uh, SAPS will identify this person by calling the forensic pathologist, right? Mm. Now, we don't have the identity of this person. We don't know who is this person. The only way to know this person is through fingerprint, am I right? Mm-hmm. Now, I want you to know the forensic pathologist can then also ask you to identify the details of this person or is the subs need to identify this oh, uh, person. Okay. Yes, I need to know from them. Mm. Okay, cool. Yeah. Thank, thank you for, for the question, um, uh, Tabo. Yasmin, please take the question maybe around x-rays. Like, do funeral parlors... Um, make those available or are they only in hospitals yeah so i think it's very um mortuary um dependent like our yeah. mortuary where we work in um uh pretoria we have our own x-ray okay. machine in mm. the mortuary as part of the low but as um, our other doctors said that they have to take it to the hospital, the hospital yeah. to get done um so that it does cause um mm. a bit of a logistic um issue but mm. at our at our Mortuary, all our bodies get x-rayed. Um, can I clarify? Because I think I'm mm. the one who raised the x-ray issue. Yes. Um, I was uh, talking in relation to a child. Mm. So it's, it's, we do have the x-rays, like Dr. has said. We, 
other institutions do have and others don't have. Mm. But what we have is a full body x-ray that is for maybe the obvious things like your bullets, your fractures. But the one that I was talking about where you take a child to a hospital, we, we need a radiologist to report on that, which is mm. another speciality. Mm. So that's what I was talking about when I talk about taking the body mm. to a hospital. It's okay. only special cases, not all of them. The usual adult trauma cases, we do have the machines amongst our facilities even if it's a small facility but it can go to the next big facility okay. still a forensic yeah dr Shaisa, the question around identifying missing people is there a way you can assist or is it is it only the police's uh, field yeah no thanks for the question i think uh, this area is a very serious area which we deal with uh, the process of uh, identification it's a it's a professional process and it's a process itself. You know, mm -hmm. you cannot do it in a day, but uh, it involves a lot of, you know, disciplines. But the core of that team is ourselves and the police. So we work together with the police in the identification of the deceased. So the type of, you know, process that we'll engage in depends on the case. But I must say we do have a crisis in terms of purpose. Mm. You know, uh, in all of our facilities, we do have an increasing number of unknown cases that we cannot identify through our routine processes. And uh, these cases, unfortunately, we ultimately bury them as purpose through mm. the municipalities. Yes. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Richard, in, in Renberg, good morning. Hi, Clement and guests and listeners. Sure. My question revolves around um, natural causes and unnatural causes. Mm -hmm. Uh, the example is my mom passed away in an ICU unit of septicemia when she had had some cardio issues and, and some other things. And the hospital said that's natural causes. Now, because of that, I couldn't get a post-mortem done, well, uh, you know, through the state, <clears throat> getting a piece number and, and whatever to investigate it. Mm. Um, and then the private pathologist wouldn't touch it. So it's no man's land, and it's, it doesn't. It's it's what well, it's defined as natural causes, but it can't be natural causes. Mm. It's happened in in the hospital care. It's, it's of a, a human induced condition, other than her medical conditions. Okay, let's let's get them to clarify that. Thanks for calling, Richard. No, I just wanted to ask him what brought mm. the, his mother to the hospital. Mm. What took the mother to the hospital? Yeah, Richard. Uh, it was cardiac issues. Cardiac issues. Okay. Okay. So, so how do you then consider this to be a natural um, death by natural causes, Dr. Shaisa, as opposed to unnatural causes? Yes. Uh, well, you know, it's a spectrum, you know. On the far left, you've got, you know, the unnatural cases, and on the far right, you've got the natural cases. But in the middle, we do have a gray area. Mm. And of course, that's why we actually are specialists in this area because we will get paid to work, on, especially on the gray area type of cases. But this case is, seems to be a clear case of a person who had a natural disease admitted in a hospital. I'm not sure if uh, his mother was uh, operated on. Okay. It sounds like uh, she was taken to uh, ICU and in ICU, they just do basic tests. So there are no operations that they will perform in the ICU. Mm. But if she was operated on, 
then that case will be a clear case of unnatural uh, death uh, according to uh, section 48 of the health professions amendment act mm-hmm. if she was admitted with a heart problem she was taken to icu for monitoring and further medical treatment and she passed on and no operation was performed then it's a clear case of initial death i do not understand why he says that uh, no one wanted to touch the case it's unheard of because if she was in a state institution mm. We all have got our ethical obligations as medical practitioners. Even in private practice, the law does not allow a doctor or any health professionals not to attend a deceased person and the issues around the uh, uh, the death person. Mm. Okay, so we have to facilitate, you know, the death certification. We have to help the family. To but can I dispute that? Though? If you say that's a natural death, can I come and say ah? No, but I still want to bring in a pathology, a pathologist to come and determine and, and verify again. Yes, you can. Remember, I said we've got five types of categories of unnatural deaths. Mm. The last category, I said is broad, is where, you know, things are not clear, has a gray area. Immediately, a person doubts a death. It automatically becomes unnatural. We have to remove that doubt. Okay. So if a family member says, my relative was in the hospital and I'm not happy the circumstances under which he or she died, then that person has to go to the nearest police station and write an affidavit to state the reasons why they're not happy. Mm. And some of these cases could be suspicion of we talked about negligence okay so automatically those cases if the reasons are clear then they will basically open an, an inquest case okay. all right it's going up to 10 minutes before 11 o'clock across the desk with clement maniatella on 702 eight minutes before 11 o'clock i'm hosting forensic pathologists on across the desk this morning we've got dr Shaise, dr Manukuza and Dr. Bismillah. We're running out of time and we've got so many questions. So I'm going to try and rush you guys through the questions so we can get through as many as possible. Um, someone is asking, um, you spoke about the shortage of pathologists. Um, is there a demand of pathologists? So is it a field to get into? I'm not, yes. You're not going to be out of a job? Yes, no, sure there is. I think we have on average about 60 to 70 unnatural um, deaths in our country a year. Yeah. And we're only 53 um, pathologists 53. in the country. So, How do you spread yourself so across the country? There's an extremely high demand um, and a need and a shortage for forensic um, pathologists. Wow. So, very, yeah, mm-hmm. there is a huge need and demand. Okay. All right. Uh, Muloi in Bloemfontein. Good morning. Morning, Glenn. Sharp, sharp, man. What's your question? Sharp, quick one. Yeah. Uh, if if a body is brought in from a, a building that burned down, do they proactively look for other things that could have caused the death, or do they just say, okay, no, this body does, uh, this this guy died from smoke inhalation or fire burns, etc. Like for example, that body, that uh, building that burned down. That guy said he strangled the body. He strangled somebody and yes. Mm. Like could they could they have could can they see that or that this guy had been 
died before the actual fire. Got it. Um, are you able to determine if someone died before the actual fire and whether they died from the you know bent wounds or smoke inhalation or if they were killed before? Um, yes. Um, it depends also on the severity of the pains. Mm-hmm. So if I'm still able to examine the internal organs, um, I'll be able to tell if maybe there were other injuries that are unrelated to the pains. And if there is a smoke inhalation also has its own features that we look for internally when we examine the airways. And we also take the blood for, to see if the, it's, it's for carbon monoxide to tell if the person inhaled smoke when they were still alive. Okay. Another two questions, Dr. Saisa. One, someone says, Hi, Clem, I run a funeral parlor. My first experience with a dead person was going to collect a dead body at Sun City Prison. I found myself talking to that body, automatically so. However, I would like to find out from your guests, do they do some form of cleansing or something, or is it just another day at the office? (laughs) Do you do that? And someone else actually asked on Twitter, uh, can you just ask them if They've ever dealt with the body, and there was a, uh, a miracle. Someone just woke up. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you yeah. know, I come with my mom and her church friends, and they're praying there, and then, boom, <laughs> I'm alive again. <laughs> no, I, I think uh, we we don't do rituals because uh. of our routine work, but of course, you know, death is not uh, a normal thing. We cannot get used to death. You know, we. It affects us on a daily basis, mm-hmm. and uh, th- th- these effects they accumulate over time. We know of cases of doctors who develop uh, stress, you know, anxiety disorders, mm. depression, post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. Uh, I personally have suffered uh, some of these. Mm-hmm. I'm talking from personal experience, mainly because. Over the many years, or 26 years in this world, I've done so many cases. Mm. And uh, you, it affects you, changes you in terms of how you see society, you see human beings, mm. you know, the extent to which they can go to cause harm to others. Mm. And it changes your perspective. It changes how you see people. It changes how can a person wake up in the morning mm. and plan that today I'm going to kill someone. Mm. Do you, so do you guys do therapy? Like, do you take therapy yes, and... Yes. Okay. So we have uh, every um, four times a year, the, okay. um, the um, government gives us debriefing sessions where we get to speak to someone. Okay. You know, they can pick up on any trends of our mental health that is failing because we have to be objective. You know, yeah. we can't be too emotional or too traumatized when dealing with these kind of cases. Okay, guys. I'm out of time. Thank you so much for making time for us. This has been so fascinating, um, understanding and learning about forensic pathology. And thanks for the work that you guys do. Thank you. You are very brave. (laughs) It's three minutes before 11.